am Dr. Amy, and this podcast is The Most Important Medicine. If you don't know me, I'm a licensed psychologist, trainer, and consultant. And on this podcast, we're here to discuss how talking about trauma and providing a space for physicians to share their experiences is how we transform medicine. I work with physicians and healthcare organizations on the daily, and every time we start these conversations, and I even hint at the discussion of trauma, I am met with two things either intense, compassionate curiosity, or a whole lot of skepticism. And that's what we're here for, to make understanding and discussing trauma accessible, and even more important, how to respond to trauma so that you feel competent as a physician. Every time you join me, I want you to hear practical information and lead with tangible tools. So today I am talking with special guest, uh, Dr. Sapna Shahak. Dr. Shahak is a board certified internal medicine physician. She was born and raised in Kansas and attended the University of Kansas School of Medicine. After experiencing burnout herself and watching colleagues experience burnout, it became a passion of hers to look at the root causes of burnout. Dr. Shahak is now the podcast of host of The Worthy Physician, where she explores physician burnout with colleagues and other experts in the field. Welcome, Sapna. I'm glad you're hey, here. Thank you so much. I'm glad to be here. Yeah, I'm so thrilled. We got to talk a little bit, you know, about our joint roots from the Midwest. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I'm excited to have another Midwesterner. As I, as I told you, um, I meet lots of people out here on the West Coast where I live, but I think some of the best souls are in the Midwest. I would have to agree. It's part of the reason why I stay here. You know, it's just, uh, fam- most of my family's here, but just there's something about the people, you know, they still know their name. Na- we still know our neighbors. We still have that uh, connection. Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. Well, I love that. Um, your formal introduction, I kind of went over. What else would you, might you want to share about people with people about you? Uh, go Jayhawks. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. Um, that's so funny. My, my, my godmother who might be listening right now is rooting with you. <laughs> yeah. Well, unfortunately it's football season, so we'll get them in basketball season. Yeah. Yeah. Um, anything else you want to share wife, mom, uh, where are you, where you're practicing and what you do now? Sure. Yeah. So, um, I'm a mom, uh, you know, multiple roles. I'm a, I'm a physician. Um, I also have multiple interests outside of medicine, including, uh, including the podcast, mm-hmm. the worthy physician. So it's kind of been my way to grieve, uh, burnout and the loss of one of my best friends through su- to uh, death by suicide. So that's really what kicked that off. Yeah. Well, let's, let's dive in there. Tell me how, how would you define burnout? Yeah. So you know, the, there's a formal definition from the 1970s, disconnection and really just fatigue. And it has a whole criteria. We could go over the definition, but I think it's antiquated really, because back then they were looking at, okay, burnout is only something that happens in this work environment. But to be, to be honest, it's not just work, right? As a physician, I don't just hang up my white coat at the door when I leave the office. It's part of who I am. It is not who I am completely, but it's a part. So if you have something going on in your personal life, um, whatever that might be in your spiritual life, that is going to drain you, that can also um, 
influence burnout. So even though, and let's look at burnout in medicine, right? We have unrealistic expectations. We have a lot of places have horrible work environments where they don't see physicians as humans, but superheroes, you have to be perfect all the time, always say yes. And so you carry that and that will of course affect your all other realms of your life. So I think it's this area where you just get so drained and you become disconnected because it is almost a survival mechanism. You're running on autopilot and your brain gets disconnected. Your, your emotions become disconnected because you've hit a wall that your body can only process so much. And that carries into every aspect of your being. Mm-hmm. You know, I appreciate what you said that the disconnection becomes a survival mechanism. You know, I think often when I am explaining coping to people, they think about maybe healthy coping or unhealthy coping. And what I say is any form of coping, um, whether it be disconnect, addiction, alcohol abuse, or what we think of more healthy things like running and walking and hiking, right? That we look for something that helps us really respond to pain. Right. And so what you're saying is, you know, when you're in this culture where, you know, you have to be perfect, you have, you know, you're seen as this healthcare hero. It's like the disconnect is the only way that you can get through another day. It's absolutely one of the ways, because if you think about it, the human mind is not built to see as much trauma. And we've learned that from combat veterans, right? With PTSD. Mm-hmm. We also know that we see that with first responders. And now I think we're starting to understand that we are starting to see that, or we are understanding now that we see the same thing in healthcare mm-hmm. with physicians, with nurses. I mean, physicians are some of the most resilient people in the world because mm-hmm. look at all the training we give up our 20s to go to college and medical school. <laughs> and sometimes a bit of a scenic route if there's. Uh, you know, research or a master's program, and then to go through a residency that is incredibly grueling. And then to come out, uh, you know, when we see those cases of life-threatening illnesses, sad cases of, for example, I was on my pediatrics rotation in medical school, shaken baby syndrome, you know, that's something that sticks with you. And when you see that over and over again, and you don't take that time to stop and process, or you don't have a way to really honor what you've seen, I think that that can form some type of uh, PTSD. I mean, how many times can you see a code being run over and over again, Mm -hmm. and then have to go to clinic and say, okay, let's talk about back pain. Let's yeah. talk about your diabetes when you're still grieving that patient that you just lost. Absolutely. And, you know, when you said to honor what you've seen, right? Honor yeah. for the patient and honor for yourself, what you just went through. Right. Um, see, that's not taught in medical school or residency. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, because you said, you know, we don't take time, but in actuality, Sapna, you're not actually encouraged to even think about giving yourself that time or the fact that there is the need for you as a human to process that, right? That is correct. That is correct. Yeah, it's it's something that I've that I personally have learned on my own. Mm-hmm. Um and I had I had mentors or attendings and residency that that allowed that that allowed that, you know, because as a physician, you give so much. And I know that as a patient, you know, because physicians are patients too. Mm-hmm. Patients may not always realize that. Right. But when we come home, we're still thinking about the cases from the day or the last week, you know, what could I have, what could I have done differently? What did I miss? Mm-hmm. What should I do next time they come in? So even though they have left the exam room, they're still in your mind. And, and with that, you put a lot of time and a lot of heart and soul. And, you know, most, most people go into medicine to help others. It's definitely not for the money. Absolutely. Yeah. So you mentioned trauma, um, both witnessing trauma and then experiencing trauma. How would you define trauma? I, I never think of anything good when I think of trauma. Mm -hmm. It's not always physical right? Car accidents, gunshot wounds. Mm -hmm. It can also be spiritual, emotional, psychological. Mm -hmm. So I think it would be anything that is, has a negative impact on a person, on their physical health, mental health, spiritual, or even their Mm self-worth. Why do you think it's hard in the medical space for physicians to talk about trauma and burnout? Number one, we're not supposed to, you're supposed to never talk about your feelings, right? That's, Mm -hmm. that's kind of rule number one, always be stoic. You have to be professional. And I think that's where perfectionism comes in, but let's also take a step back and say, Hey, you know, what type of people go into medicine? A lot of it is a type A wanting to have control. And I have to say, I do have a type A personality that Mm -hmm. I've had to, I've taken a lot of time to temper back. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that the type A personality is a trait. Mm-hmm. And then you add a culture in medicine that's very archaic, if you will, in the sense that you have to be stoic, you have to almost run like a robot without emotions. Mm-hmm. And so if you have that culture, you're in medical school and residency, we're molded to, to become that. And so if you have this culture and you're molded over eight years or so to be that way, it's very hard to break down. And then by discussing burnout or discussing, you know, hey, I just lost a patient. I don't know how to deal with this. This is really shaking me to my core. That's, a, that's, a, that's being looked at as, hey, I'm weak. Mm-hmm. You're weak. Mm-hmm. Whereas- you're bothered by something. Right. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we're not superheroes, even though we're supposed to have this complex, we're humans that work in a very rigorous, very structured environment that is beautiful because we get to help people, you know, at their most vulnerable points in life. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it's taxing and toxic when we cannot openly communicate, hey, I just lost a patient and this patient has been my, has been my patient for 10 years and he's he's one of my favorite patients and he just, he just died. And I just found out by walking in the office. 
mm-hmm. you know, that's, that's a bit traumatic because oh. you lose that relationship. Right. Right. It's a loss, right? You yes. just, it's a, it's a person in your life that you've known for 10 years. Right. That you've taken care of that, that they've probably told you things that they haven't shared with their partner, with their best friends, maybe with people that they work with. Like, you know, intimate details about this person and now they're gone. Right. And you're supposed to go on to the next patient. Right. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, do you mind sharing a little bit about why you started your podcast and your mission around uh, burnout and physician burnout? Sure. So I've experienced burnout twice myself. Um, one was about three years out of residency. Uh, you know, I had, I live in a great community but being on call all the time and doing inpatient outpatient consults uh, in addition to some family restructuring we had to do mm-hmm. it, it became it be- i was overwhelmed it became too much so at let that me, point let, in- me just, let me clarify sapna for people listening you experienced burnout for the first time just three years out of your residency that is correct so to me, as a psychologist, that means that was probably building even at the end of your residency. Is that fair? No. Okay. Okay. No. Um, it was uh, it was three years into practicing. And I would say it started about a year and a half into my initial okay. position. Okay. Yeah. Thanks for clarifying. Okay. No, no. And, and the reason being, I had a great residency program. I, I really did. Um, everybody was, I mean, it was, it was hard. Don't mm-hmm. get me wrong, but, um, had great friends and great mentors or attendings. Mm-hmm. And so part of the reason why medical school and residency were so great was be- because of the people with whom I, I met. Mm-hmm. And one of those, one of those people was Dr. Peg Bicker. She was an internist. We did medical school and residency together. And then she died by suicide in 2019. And so with that loss, you know, it was, it was a shock. Mm-hmm. It was a complete shock. Um, how can you be talking one, one week and the next week they're gone? You both went through the same residency program. Correct. Right, that you said was a really supportive residency program. So it wasn't until you were out practicing medicine that she clearly became overwhelmed and you were beginning to experience burnout as well. That is correct. That is my, that is definitely my understanding for myself. And uh, I can only assume that's what it was for, for Peg. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So that was in 2019 when you found out about your friend's death. Yes. Um, did you get to process that at that time? You know, I was actually at work when her, her widower, Larry, called me and said, Sapna, Peg's dead. And I thought, okay, something's up. Is this, it's not April Fool's. So what's going on? I said, where is she? Um, and he said, she died by suicide. And uh, I can remember going and telling, um, couple of staff members at, at the workplace. And then I drove myself home 
how I made it home, I, I don't know. I think I'm really good at compartmentalizing. Yeah. And when, when I got home, I broke down. Um, I, th- I think that because of the, the shock, I think it's, and, and the nature, the nature of her death, um, I'm still processing it. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I'm so sorry for your loss. Um, I, I find often that sharing memories of someone is a lovely way to process and honor them. Do you have a, a favorite fun memory of her that you remember from residency or during your friendship that you would like to share? None that would be able to be shared on a podcast. <laughs> Fair enough. See, even that like is, is amazing to hear. Yeah, we had some good times. I mean, we really did. And so it was when I say I had a great residency program, I did. And it was coming, it was when I came out into the real world of the culture of medicine. And I think it was part of it is and was that I expected it to be one way. And I really wasn't prepared for the way it was. Mm. And, you know, that was a learning curve. And I'm, I'm thankful for it. Mm-hmm. Right. I'm thankful that it happened because without that, I would not have made uh, a, a move that was a good move. And now I'm back to the original place where I began. And, you know, life is pretty darn good. But yeah. at one point in time, twice, actually, I was ready to leave medicine to become a bartender or a wildlife photographer, oh. both of which I know nothing about. <laughs> um, will you say more to people that might be listening about the difference between maybe what you thought it was going to be and how it actually was. Sure. I mean, the reason why I went into medicine was to help people, right. Mm -hmm. To help, you know, treat the whole person and, and help to manage chronic diseases as an internist. Well, in medical school and residency, you don't really have to worry about RVUs, you Mm -hmm. know, or, or how much revenue you're generating. You get the nice time about, um, you can spend that extra time with patients and that's great. Mm-hmm. You know, that's, that I, I love, right. That's the art and the science of medicine. But when you get into the real world, quote unquote, it's, it's a different structure. You're on, you're on the clock, you're on the clock and you have to see as many patients as you can. And you try to meet all their expectations because patients come in having expectations, they're very vulnerable. And unfortunately, I, I don't think that the majority of patients really understand how medicine works. So yeah, I'm sorry, you have 10, you have 10 things that you need to cover, but I can only cover three. Let's, let's negotiate on what the top three are. And then I'm gonna have to bring you back in a couple of weeks to address the, the rest of your list. Unfortunately, it's gonna be another copay for you, but that's the way it works, right? And so when you get into that system, and then having a full day of clinic, and then going back and forth to the hospital, getting paged multiple times a night. And even if you're on vacation, or even if you're, um, even if it's not your weekend on, you know, mm-hmm. there's this culture of don't say no. Yes. That's not sustainable. Mm-hmm. I, I don't sleep much, but when, when I'm off, I, I like my time. Of course. And, but, but still there's this, you have to, you have to be on the clock. You have to watch that clock. And I understand that but it also takes away from the human connection 
between mm-hmm. physician and patient, which can also be just as healing, sometimes for both. So it was your expectations, but also patient expectations, right? right. Um, they don't really know, you know, how things work. And then, and then there's probably this feeling of, of distress that they want more of your time and you'd love to give it, but you really can't. I can't. Right. Right. I'm just to the point where I tell that to patients. I'm like, Hey, look, this was a 20 minute appointment. I'm sorry. You're going to have to come back. But this time, you know, we'll, we'll schedule a 40 minute appointment, but you know, then that's also going to be reflected in my billing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's just the way the structure is. So you said you did something to try to address that, you know, um, how, what does that mean in terms of how you're practicing differently or how you're talking to patients differently? Sure. I mean, I'm pretty upfront. Hey, this is what are your top three issues? Mm-hmm. Well, I have t- 10. Okay. We'll pick up, pick out three. And then mm-hmm. we're going to have to address the list. You know, the other half of the list, this might be one or two more visits. I'm pretty upfront about that. Um, it's unfortunate, but again, that's just the way medicine is with insurance reimbursement and the cost. I mean, overhead cost is upward of 50% for an internal medicine office. Mm-hmm. So you got to, you know, it is a business at the end of the day. It's not my business. Mm-hmm. I'm employed. So I'm not the one to get mad at as to how that's operated, but still, if you want to keep those doors open, you want to keep staff here, you want to keep a physician here to address your needs. That is the way it has to flow. And I think that once you educate the patient, you know, and I mean, in a respectful way, they're, they understand, they understand Mm-hmm. And you're giving them time later, right? You're saying this is important. Let's come back to this, right? And right. You're trying to provide some education up front. Yes. Um, how how have you have? Do you feel like you've learned balance? You're learning balance. Like how are you addressing that space so that you don't get to a place of burnout again? Sure. So i I think um, I think a good way to say it is that it's always on my radar. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's not the fact that, okay, I'm, I don't want to be burned out. You know, I'm, I'm going to ward that. I'm going to ward that curse off. It's more of, have I found balance? Yes. Is it a daily, is it a daily thing to conquer? Absolutely. As I think it is for everybody, you know, how do I balance my time and space? How do I balance where I give my energy? Mm-hmm. Right. So for me, it's okay. I try to start off the day with gratitude. And then I think mentally, okay, what are my goals for today? If I'm at work, I look at my schedule and I kind of pre-plan as to maybe what somebody might need. Okay. This person is due for an A1C. This person is might need an EKG and I have excellent staff. I mean, the staff is just on it. So I think also having just an awesome place to work is is great. Um, but when I feel like I cannot do certain things, I'm very upfront about it. Like, Hey, I cannot have a double book because I, I just can't, they're going to have to see, um, one of the nurse practitioners and some people may frown upon that. And that's okay because I need to be able to take care of myself in order to have this longevity and that long lived relationship with that patient. And the patients understand that. The patients understand that, right? Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. But then again, they, they'll probably have follow-up with me after seeing one of the nurse practitioners. So, you know, that way everybody's needs are getting met. And if I can see the patient, absolutely I will. But to be able to expect to be seen now, because I'm here at your front office window, that is not really acceptable. And we set boundaries, like we set expectations for patients as well. Because as they have expectations uh, from our office or from me as a physician, it goes both ways. And I think that you can, ex- you can expect that from patients as long as you communicate it in a respectful manner. Mm-hmm. Now, if they cross that boundary, that's not really well received. So, so talk me through a script, for instance, right? A, a script, if you will, um, that maybe you've given permission or your practice has given permission to like a front office person to say to a patient who is there, they're demanding to see you, you're already, you know, kind of booked through your day and you can't, mm-hmm. what's something your front office person might say, like you said, in a respectful way, right? What, what I would call a trauma informed way. Um. You know what? She's seeing patients right now. So you're more than welcome to leave a message or make an appointment. Okay. So leave a message, make an appointment, right? And the person, the office person is there to assist them in doing that. Right. Um, And, and I, I really appreciate what you said, because I I can sense like a little bit of edginess to you, which I love. (laughs) And you said, if the patient persists and they're rude or demeaning to the staff, you said that's right. not going to go well. No, it's not. And, and I think a lot, a lot of front office people right now are they, you know, by the time a patient comes back to see you, my experience, right. Um, as a previous BHC in clinics is mm-hmm. they're, they're pretty well behaved with their physician. Right. But right. the front office really gets a hit. Yes. Um, so do you say something as a provider? Do, does your, does your, practice manager? Like, how do you handle kind of what I would call uh, workplace incivility? <laughs> right. So I'm going to give a shout out to all the front office workers, right? Their job is actually really hard. Yeah. And, you know, it's not just sitting there looking at a computer. They deal with so many different personalities, more than what I would as a physician mm-hmm. uh, in a given day. So really I want to give them kudos. Uh, number one, Awesome staff is hard to come by. So you have to back them up. You have to back them up. And if I get wind that somebody has mistreated my staff, yes, I do say something. And if that is not well received, then yes, the office manager will also say something. And you know what? We have awesome camaraderie and we have an awesome, we have an awesome uh, office manager. She's a, she's a friend outside of work as well. And I really, really appreciate her in her position because it, I know that I have that autonomy, which is important to me as a physician, but also I have that support and always, and if I'm not doing something correctly, I'll get constructive criticism. So yeah, it goes both ways. Yeah. The thing about patients, patient satisfaction, that's one thing that I'm not a proponent of is that this is not, this is not fast food. This is not a hotel. Yes. 
And so you cannot have it your way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we, ha- we go into the room, we go into the exam room with the same, with the same darn goal. And that is to get, to address the needs. We might have a different avenue or different ways of wanting to, to reach that same destination, right? But let's be simple. Now, no, I'm not going to put up with somebody being disrespectful because they would not like that if that were done to them, right? So why is it okay in healthcare for us to sit there and take it? Yeah. You know, it has escalated from verbal and physical abuse now to gun violence, the shooting in Tulsa back over the summer. And that is what made the news that is not necessarily the only the only shooting that has taken place. But, you know, it, it's serious. So the patient satisfaction is, is nonsense because it takes away from the um, almost that, that awesomeness of the patient physician relationship. So I love what you're saying in terms of supporting your staff, right? Right. They're right there on the front line dealing with, you know, if there's four providers in the clinic, they're dealing with all of those patients all day, not just right. that day. Um, but like, I, I'm, I'm making a list as you're talking, you know, like burnout's always on your radar. You're trying to balance time and space. You're trying to recognize energy, express gratitude, set goals, have good support, have autonomy. This, this is something that it sounds like you've had to learn the hard way to prevent burnout. Correct. Correct. But, you know, I wouldn't be saying these things 10 years ago because I didn't know. Right. And so on my podcast, I tried to address these, you know, we have, I've done an episode on boundaries. Mm -hmm. I've done an episode on gratitude, on grief. So a lot of what I put into the podcast is what I myself have experienced or what I've picked up on other uh, physicians, what they've experienced. Um, and, you know, really it gets back to, we got it. We have to be, allow ourselves to be human. Absolutely. We have to allow ourselves to be human and to open up, open up about our feelings, have our sense of humor, mm-hmm. bring our authentic selves to clinic. You know, mm-hmm. you're not going to find me in clinic in dress clothes. It's going to be um, probably scrubs, cowboy boots. And if the weather's cold, a leather jacket, nice. because that's what I'm comfortable in. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. I can picture that. I hope everyone <laughs> can picture that. Um, if someone's listening and they have a colleague, um, a fellow physician or another colleague in healthcare, or maybe it's their partner or their sister or their brother, and they're worried mm-hmm. about them, Sapna, how would you encourage to them to open a conversation with them about their concern or their worry? Sure. I would say just, just have that conversation, mm-hmm. just have it, you know? Um, but I would say one thing is to come from a place of compassion and, you know, concern for somebody usually does come from a place of compassion. Mm-hmm. And when you have that conversation, hey, I'm worried about you. You don't seem like yourself. Mm. But here's the thing. Physicians are, we're very good at masking. Mm-hmm. Remember, we, we've had years of 
being molded to do so. Yeah. 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 So, and, and that's a, that was a shocker when, when Peg took her own life, it was, it was not apparent to anyone. Nothing was showing on the outside. No. Now, I guess hindsight's always 2020, but if just something seems off or if, even if somebody is going through a big transition, right? Mm-hmm. The keyword is transition. Mm-hmm. Talk to them, yeah. pull them aside and say, Hey, I'm concerned about you. What's going on? Tell me how you're feeling. Mm-hmm. And you might have to do that a few times or what they call the double tap method. No. How are you really doing? Yeah. You know, yeah. that's my, my friend, Alfonso Ramirez, who's a, um, an equity expert in healthcare says he calls it first round, second round. So he would say yeah. like, Hey, Sapna, how's your day going? And then, you know, kind of talk and then say, okay, so how are you really? Right. And it catches people, I think a little bit off guard because it's like, oh, we're not just doing kind of our socially acceptable, oh, I'm good, I'm fine. And kind of like the, you know, false presentation mask. But I I also want to underscore the other thing you're saying, which is transition, right? Transitions are really stressful. So, you know, things we might think about for, you know, physicians are, you know, changing jobs, um, changing something personal in their life, either having a kid or getting married or getting divorced or, you know, changing clinics. So anytime there's a a transition, it's a good time to check in. You're saying. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Even, even if they're fine, at least just knowing that somebody checked in, you know, that's always a, that's always a big, okay. Now I can, now I know that somebody is actually observing and maybe that person can be part of my safe space. 100%. It's like physicians are used to being the caretaker. So when someone says, Hey, I'm checking in, even if you're fine, like you said, it's so nice to feel checked in on. Right. Yeah. It just plants. I I, I totally agree. It, It plants a little seed. Um, uh, last question before some, some rapid fire for you. Sure. <laughs> um, uh, what do you do now that gives you meaning in your work? How do you, how do you find a purpose today? In my, in my office, the purpose. So I have a great work-life balance, right? I work three days a week. I love that. That's, that's the way I can sustain being a physician in today's society. Mm-hmm. Uh, what today's medical corporate 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 medicine me, corporate medicine right okay. um, so that allows me to to do what I like to do which you know it can be goofing off with the kids uh, I really enjoyed things outdoors uh, hiking fishing with my kids mm-hmm. um, kayaking when the weather's not 110 degrees <laughs> <laughs> but so, you know, I, I do things outside of medicine that mm-hmm. keeps me grounded. Mm-hmm. That keeps me grounded. Um, and then of course, when I go to work, I know that I have great staff. I know that we support each other. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I, again, I start my day out with gratitude. And when I come home, um, it's kind of a free for all <laughs> because of the kids. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, I incorporate them into what I, what I do in the evenings, which yeah. would be, you know, sometimes it's, um, you know, if we're prepping dinner or 
uh, even something as silly as Tai Chi or yoga, mm-hmm. not much gets done, but you know, it's a, it's, it's something that we can goof off with. So I think also just letting, letting loose, letting loose and not being serious all the time. And, mm-hmm. um, just having fun. I think that we, Oh, sorry. The doing nothing right there. Right. When you said not much gets done, I think so yeah. much done. Right. Right. Yeah. And that's the thing. We don't have to have every minute planned. And as a, you know, for physicians, uh, to very, again, very type A personalities, that's, that's hard to, that's hard to let go, mm-hmm. but you know what? The world's not going to end if the dishes don't get done. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that, that's what tomorrow's for. Mm-hmm. So let it go. Mm-hmm. Dancing go. cowboy boots. There you go. <laughs> um, so I, just a couple of, of fun rapid fire questions. Um, what's one thing folks get wrong about physicians? To think that we go into it for the money or that we get a Mercedes when we graduate from residency, that's just complete and utter bullocks. We get like $500,000 worth of debt. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Having been married to a physician prior, I can say that, yes, that is true. And double the debt when you have two um, healthcare providers in your family. (laughs) Uh, No, he's a trucker. Yeah. (laughs) Um, I love that. Um, If you could go back and talk to young Dr. Shahak, what would you tell her? I would tell her the lessons that I've learned over the last decade. So that way, maybe I would have made different decisions. I would still have chosen to go into medicine. I still would have chosen to come to where, you know, where I was initially is where I am now. But I would say, hey, you know what? Learn to speak up then louder Mm. and bring your edginess then, not just now. Oh my gosh. To every person listening, right? Speak up louder, sooner, bring the edge sooner. Oh my gosh. Yes. Um, I think in healthcare patients get intimidated by physicians. Um, and yet, you know, you're human, as you've said several times, um, can you give us an example of something that makes you a messy human, something that makes you perfectly imperfect? You never want to go in my desk drawer. I know where things are, but don't open it. And the <laughs> staff knows that. <laughs> it's like Monica's closet from friends. <laughs> Just there you go. Keep it shut. Keep it shut. Um, last question. It's 11 o'clock at night um, and you have a food craving. What do you reach for? Uh, anything savory. So it's going to be, but if I had to be, if I had to pick one thing, it'd be popcorn. Mm. Salty. 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 <laughs> okay. Um, if people want to be in touch and learn more about your podcast, um, how do they learn about your podcast? Sure. So you can go to theworthyphysician.com and it is available on all major platforms. Awesome. We will link up to that in the show notes. Um, so you can find Dr. Shaw Hawk in her cowboy boots and leather jacket in Kansas practicing medicine. Um, thank you so much for being here today. Thank, I, I just, there's so many gems people are going to pull from this. And if there's just one thing that helps prevent physician burnout that somebody takes from this, um, thank you so much for putting that out in the world. Absolutely. Thank you so much for your time. Absolutely. 
Well, that's it, friends. If you like what you're hearing in this space, I invite you to join us in the Provider Lounge, a learning collaborative to build resilience. It's an incredible group of physicians who meet monthly, get CME, and lean into conversations about trauma, resilience, and other tough topics. This is the most important medicine. Keep listening to other people's stories and let them transform you. And keep sharing your own, because your humanity will heal others. We'll talk soon.